Broadcaster Hour is back with a guest after we've been away for the last three weeks with some of our best of episodes. We are back. This is Roger Hoover with you from Alabama. We've got Kyle Crooks in Florida and then from Washington getting up early in the morning to join us. We've got the voice of the Washington Huskies, Tony Castricone. And Tony, it's great to see you. How's everything going out west? It's good, man. Uh, Getting ready for some of that Pac-12 after dark. Uh, we have not had any of that the first few weeks of the college football season, and it just doesn't quite feel complete. So we're excited that we're on the schedule and, and getting back to normal a little bit, right? I mean, this is not gonna, we're not going to snap our fingers and life is going to return completely to normal, but we're, we're gradually working our way there. And, man, that's, that's a welcome sight for so many people. So we're really grateful to, uh, to have a schedule and, and to have some games coming up and, and, you know, from a Washington perspective, we've got a new head coach and we're really excited about him. We're really excited about kind of our young roster, which I think we uh, of the 115 guys on the team. I think we only have like 27, 28 juniors and seniors. So we've got a ton of freshmen and sophomores that are really highly touted recruits that we're excited to see play. So um, we're just excited. We're excited for the start of the season. So, Tony, what has the last couple weeks been like, maybe the last couple months as you see football uh, being played in other conferences and, and you're sitting here watching and not broadcasting and maybe listening to other radio broadcasts? Just how tough has it been for you to, again, not be in the booth for the month of September and, and October? Yeah, uh, frustrating, right? And, I mean, not uh, – I, I love what I do, no question about it, but it's not lost on me that it's not the most important thing in the world. Um, this, this stuff, uh, we're, we're blessed to live in a society where we can spend so much time even thinking about entertainment and, and, you know, extra things to do. And, um, you know, that's kind of the industry, honestly, that's the industry that we're in. We're, we're, we're in the entertainment industry as, as sportscasters and, and this is extra and we have to deal with what's most important first. Um, and then when there's room left over for us, then, then we can do what we do. Um, so that's not lost on me and that's never been lost on me. But, um, also when you make a decision to pursue this as what you want to do for a living, you're kind of all in and you're dependent upon it. And, uh, this has not just affected my livelihood. This has affected a lot of people's livelihoods. I mean, you know, you guys have lost work. I've lost work. Um, you know, there were a lot of college play-by-play guys across the country were furloughed. You know, I was one of them for, for three months. It was tough. Uh, it was frustrating being locked up at home, filing for unemployment every week. All that stuff is not what you expected, you know, at uh, when we're in the middle of a nine game losing streak in February with men's basketball and you think things can't get any worse. It's a pretty naive thought, right? Things can always get a lot, lot worse. And so, um, you know, it's been tough, but um, less, honestly, less excited uh than, than getting back into the booth, which I'm very excited to do. I'm excited to call games, but more just grateful to be working and, and grateful to the other people who are hard at work to, to make all of this possible. Uh, the, the, the nurses and the doctors and the first responders and all the people on the front lines dealing with the pandemic. And then, you know, the people who are really fighting for this stuff, uh, uh, to, for, for us to be able to play the, the head coaches and, the, and, and their staffs and the athletic directors and, 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 and their great staffs. And, and we just have some of the best in the country here at the UW, you know, Jen Cohen, our AD is fantastic. And, and, and she's just got such a heart for all of her, her, her huge staff 
um, all the athletic department staff that's had to deal with with all of this affecting their livelihood and then the 650 student athletes um, who who have this little window in life right and and as the NCAA commercials that you see during March Madness always say 99% of them aren't gonna go pro they're gonna go pro in some other form of life right they're not gonna be pro athletes so all these kids have this four-year window where this is the highest level competition they're ever going to get to have and that's been disrupted and and that's really hard on a lot of people and that's not to say that everybody's pain through this pandemic is equal it's it's very unequal some people have it worse than others no question about it but that doesn't invalidate anybody's individual pain either uh it's hard to be a student athlete and not get to have your season it's hard to be a broadcaster and, and, and lose work. It's hard, you know, to, uh, for, for all the other people who are dealing with the illnesses and, and everything else that's going on in society. So it's, it's a tough time for everybody, but sports has this kind of galvanizing effect. It brings people together and, and it, you're, you're able to rally around uh, a common love, a common cause. And, and I think we need a little bit more of that. We, we need things that can bring us together, not tear us apart. And that's why I'm really, really excited for, for in our community, for Husky football to be back uh, very soon uh, in this kind of really bizarre season. It's weird. You, you kind of look back through the record books. I don't know what you guys were like as kids, but when I was a kid, I, I was just a nerd with the record books. And I like borderline memorized them. And so you flip back and you're reading and, and you don't know when you're like 10 years old, you're looking through the record books. You're like, why weren't there any games played in 1918? You know? And then, and then you're kind of say, okay, okay. College football, more games, more games. They're starting to play nine a year, 10 a year. Then in 1943, nobody played like, well, what's going on? You know? Um, so th this is historic, right? I mean, we're going to look at 2020, um, it, it, you know, 30, 35 years from now, we're gonna look back and see like, why, <laughs> Why did Washington play seven games? You know, but um, that's just kind of that's kind of what we're in right now. And uh, like I said before, I'm I'm just really grateful that so many people have worked so hard in order to try to get um, us on the path back to normalcy. And and now we're busy. And now we're busy in ways that I never even thought in a million years I'd be busy. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, the Pac-12 men's basketball setup has this deal um where they have the first game of every year is played in china there, there's the pac-12 china game and washington was selected to play in that game this year um and so at the gosh i'm thinking back to like january and february when i knew for sure washington was going to play in china for the pac-12 china game i'm thinking to myself gosh just what i need come november i'm gonna have to figure out a way to broadcast a game off tv and try to get sound effects from all the way across the world and all this stuff what a pain in the butt i can't believe i'm gonna have to do that and that's like gonna start like the first weekend in november i'm gonna have to worry about this at one of the busiest times of the year that's just nonsense i can't believe i have to deal with that well obviously that game gets canceled with the pandemic and now I'm doing the exact same game, the exact same thing, trying to get ready to just broadcast Washington at Cal football to open up the football season the first week of November. So uh, lots of unexpected things in 2020, but uh, everybody's rolling with the punches the best they can. And is a plan for you uh, and your broadcast team to be at the site uh, for that first game against Cal? Because uh, we see it here in the SEC. There are some uh, crews that are on site, some that aren't. What are your plans? Yeah, um, so th that's what I'm referring to is we're making plans not to travel this year. And that 
decision uh, has basically come down to, well, a- as a director of broadcast, I, I want to know for sure that that we can execute a broadcast. Like, I, I need I need the most turnkey guarantee that I can get uh, us on the air when the, the game's occurring. And there's just so many unpredictable variables with trying to, you know, first, you know, we're used to chartering with the team. And now, you know, those those road numbers are going to come down. Certainly, we're like the least essential part of that party possible, right? So we would probably have to travel on our own. Uh, say we get to the stadium and somebody's feeling ill. Say we get there and, and maybe from week to week, we don't even know if we're welcome. Maybe, maybe Cal welcomes us, but Washington State doesn't. And I'm just making that up, uh, not to be critical, but that's just so much extra stuff to try to get ready for. And, and I can't guarantee that, like, if I get buzzed outside the stadium and, and I've got a fever of 99.5 and they don't let me in, how are we going to do the game? You know, uh, so so broadcasting from Seattle just seems like the smart thing. And and, you know, we've got a plethora of backup options who can get to Husky Stadium for a road game if if I need to miss or if Damon needs to miss or anybody else on our crew. So um, it's technically going to be a headache and a challenge, but it's one that's necessary. We're going to take it on and and do the best we can with it and, and also try to have fun with it. Right. Like how many times? You know, uh, are, are we going to be in this situation? Hopefully, not many throughout. You know, the the rest of our careers. But um, yeah, that's kind of what we're working with right now. Well, Tony, on this show, every broadcaster we've met with has had a really unique career path to whatever spot they are in now. As we visit with them in 2020, but for you, just what was the spark? Why did you want to get in this business? Because I couldn't play. I mean, that's <laughs> that's pretty much it, right? Like um, junior year of high school, going all out hardest I've ever tried for anything in my entire life for the varsity basketball team and getting cut. That was like a big red flag that like, if I, if I want to work in sports, it's going to have to be behind the scenes somehow. It's not going to be on the actual court or field. So, um, yeah, that was the start of it. And, and really for me, uh, I didn't really care so much what it was going to be. I just wanted to work in sports and particularly college sports. I, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, which I always like to joke is the biggest college town in the country. You know, it's it's a medium to large size city, but it didn't have any major professional sports until 2000 when the Columbus Blue Jackets came along, and, and I was off to college at that point. So um, I grew up on college sports, and, um, you know, that's what I wanted to work around. And, um, you know, I didn't care if it was just as a part-time statistician or somebody typing up game notes or newspaper beat reporter or you know, ideally it would have been a play-by-play sportscaster, but that's what I wanted to do. So I went to, to Ohio University, and I majored in broadcast journalism. And, and pretty much from day one, um, I took the extracurricular get-on-air experience at student TV and radio and student newspaper and all that stuff. I took that way more seriously than my classes. Like I, I didn't. And, and looking back, I wish I would have done better in school, but my GPA was terrible because I... I didn't care. All I wanted to do was broadcast. And so um, student radio, you know, I was doing, you know, 9 a.m. or just not 9 a.m., 5 a.m. Um, you know, I, I remember on 9-11, like everybody's got there. Where were you on 9-11 story? I was at the student radio station. And I remember, um, you know, uh, Matt Lauer, who 
you know, former Today Show host, you know, he was an Ohio University grad. And, and so because of that, we always had the Today Show on in the newsroom. And uh, I remember the lead story on the Today Show was, is Michael Jordan going to make another return to the NBA? Uh, that's our lead story today. Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. And I remember thinking to myself, that's the lead story in the nation. Gosh, slow news day, you know. Um, and then and then we kicked into gear when everything happened and we're watching everything. And so that was experience and and student radio doing um, high school football games and and and, you know, did Ohio University women's basketball and baseball and all this stuff just to just to have any clue like just to start to get a clue as to what i'm doing and then um was fortunate enough to to get a job right out of college uh in columbus at an espn radio station and and that was awesome uh it wasn't a ton of experience but i loved it kirk herb street worked there chris spielman worked there it was a great local station like we had we had a great local lineup and and i was in my hometown and i was really in my comfort zone but that comfort zone, you know, it wasn't pushing me to grow. Like I was pretty content reading the the 60 second sports updates every 20 minutes and, and doing the early morning radio thing and all that stuff. So so fortunately, I was fired. <laughs> uh, being laid off, probably the best thing that ever happened to me um, because it forced me out of my comfort zone. And, um, you know, at, at age 28, having done that for five years already, I had some experience but I wasn't really any closer to doing my dream of play-by-play, -play, so I got my foot in the door uh, on a very part-time basis at Learfield IMG College. Uh, it was it was ISP Sports at the time, and just started as a producer and a studio host, and was randomly assigned to be the studio host for Bob Rondo and the Washington Huskies Radio Network. And um, you know, I was his producer for one year, his board op and uh built some relationships there and and i was fortunate that once i got my foot in the door at isp which then became img college and as it grew and absorbed more properties and more schools and had more production work to do i was able to 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 rise at, at img into a network manager level once i was a network manager i was managing radio networks for you know, Mac schools, Big Ten schools. Uh, you know, I, I worked with Texas and Kansas for a while, Air Force, just kind of, you know, the schools all over the country. I think at one point, like, I think I've worked with the radio networks for like 18 or 19 different Division One schools at, at some point. Um, and what, what that allowed me to do was just, A, meet a lot of ADs, associate ADs, general managers of, of the um, multimedia sales and marketing staffs and and i really got to know the industry part of this it i i already knew you know we can geek out all day on the broadcast side of this that's easy like that's fun that's what we all do but learning the industry side of this was key for me um and and getting to know that it started to allow me to see if i'm an ad if i'm an associate ad if i'm a head coach what is it that I want out of a play-by-play -play guy? Because you and I, you know, we, we have our opinions as to what makes for good play-by-play. -play, but this is an interdependent reality here. Like, like they need certain things out of us that we might not necessarily be thinking about. And so um, just getting a sense for that. And how can I be an asset to the sales staff? How can I be a help and not a hindrance to making this 
broadcast product the best it can possibly be from a production standpoint, but also from a monetization standpoint. That was huge for me. And um, working with all these athletic departments on, on that sort of stuff, um, it, it, it also uh, allowed me to make connections that when we get into that crazy crossover season in November where there's football and basketball going on and they need fill-ins, I was able to say, hey, I'm available. I mean, can, can I go call Akron at Coastal Carolina? Like that one game, you know? And, and the, I was able to. And, and that, was, that was huge. Um, I, I'd, I'd called Ohio University versus St. Francis and Akron at Coastal Carolina and East Carolina versus Milligan, like a D3 school, right? But like getting D1 tape and getting comfortable in my skin, I'm not just calling high school games anymore. Like now I'm putting on the headset and it's like, whoa, these guys are dunking. Like these guys are, you know, that, this game's got a new speed now, right? Getting comfortable there um, was important. And, and then when a couple of those things went well, then I had some tape for some bigger fill-ins. And, and when you know, I was managing the Michigan Wolverines radio network and Matt Shepard, who was doing Michigan basketball at the time, uh, he, he also had tons of other stuff. He did Red Wings and Tigers and Eastern Michigan football and all this stuff. So he had a conflict. And they needed somebody to call the preseason NIT at Madison Square Garden. Michigan's like number four in the country. They got Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway, all these guys. And, and my boss came to me and he's like, Tony, do you want to go call? I'm like, do I want to go? Like, come on. Like, seriously, do I want to go? Like, yes, I would like to go call number four Michigan at the garden on Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, I, I think I would like that. So I got the chance to do it. And I was like shaking, nervous, you know, during the game. But it went well enough. And um, I got more fill-ins with Michigan. And, and that tape was precious because – that tape ended up helping me get some conference tournament gigs. And, and then finally I got Clemson men's basketball. I did, I did the tigers and the ACC men's basketball only for three years. Um, and then uh, started talking to uh, a woman in a Christian apologetics online class that I was taking uh, who lived in San Diego. That woman turned out to be my wife. Uh, we started figuring out how do we end up on the West coast? Bob Rondo announces his retirement I'm like, hey, babe, 2% chance I get this, but let's go for it, right? And she's like, yeah, absolutely, and the rest is history. It certainly is, and that's a great run-through of what's uh, led you to Washington. And you mentioned uh, you got the Clemson opportunity. You've also been the voice of the Washington Huskies, um, two pretty high-profile jobs. So what was it specifically that you did learn from those ADs and people around uh, broadcasting Learfield IMG College that helped you land those jobs? What were some of the most important things that made you uh, a good candidate for those schools? Well, I think when you're a play-by-play guy, you, you have a really different role than any other broadcaster i mean i think you know um i think at times look we live in this social media heavy world right where at times you can have the mic drop you can have the the cute smart aleck comment and you can you can get uh that endorphin hit of like oh i've got three thousand likes this thing went viral i was a smart ass and it ended up working out great for me well that's not a great look for an athletic department. And, and that's, it's not really a great look for you either, but like sometimes we forget that. Uh, and we're just trying to get attention, right? Because it, it, in, in this media rat race, if you, it, it, it feels like if you want to, if, if you want to succeed, you, you got to have an audience. And so you're trying to get attention. And, and in some ways that can be a very unhealthy thing, doing whatever you can to get attention. So 
pulling back from that a little bit and looking at yourself a little bit as a PR guy, you know, I mean, I, I'm not ever going to lie on a broadcast ever, but we are looking at this very specifically at, at Washington through purple and gold lenses, you know, and, and that's just the way it is. And, and we're talking to a Husky audience and, and we're promoting a product and, and that product, see what I like about the college game is, is, you're servicing student athletes who are like getting this amazing experience is going to set them up for the rest of their life. That's, that's awesome. But there's also this deep tradition. I mean, in college sports, there is this tradition that goes back ages and ages. And I remember the first time I went to an NFL game after growing up on college sports, I remember it striking me and, and thinking to myself, this feels kind of sterile. Like where, where's the student section? Where, where's the marching band? You know, where the, the, the cheerleaders with like the coordinated, you know, that they're yelling through the megaphones and all that stuff. Like it's, it's different. You know, the, the tailgating is it's certainly there in the NFL, but it's just a little bit different. You don't have the mascot that's all, you know, dressed up and all this stuff. There's something special about college sports, all those traditions. And then certainly a Washington, they're amazing. I mean, Washington's got the oldest active stadium on the West coast in college football, uh, like the, the fifth or sixth oldest in all of college football. It's got the sail gating. I mean, we call it the greatest setting in college football because it's stunningly gorgeous. The Olympic mountains way out to the West, uh, you got campus, uh, off to the left, and then you've got Lake Washington to the right with the cascade mountains be- behind those. And then Mount Rainier and, and the sail gating and everything. So I just, I, I think, I think the tradition matters in in college in a way that it doesn't matter as much in in the nfl or the nba and so i think for me it's it's about reminding people why is it that we love this stuff and 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 if if the team doesn't you know perform particularly well in in one clutch situation or it's disappointing or whatever putting that behind you and being like, you know what? We, we still love this stuff. Like it's not, it's not life and death. It doesn't like this whole thing doesn't exist solely to win the game. I mean, there, there is a greater mission in, in the college game. Um, in the NFL, like you're there to win like period in the college game. Yes, you are there to win, but I think there's like a meta purpose there. That's even bigger than that. It's, it's about, you're there to also learn life lessons and, 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 and get ready for, for the rest of your life. And so, I, I really love that. I, I think it's important to try to promote that. And then also just be uh, not just an ambassador for the brand, but but also for the broadcast and work with the sales staffs. I, I, there, there are some things that I think sometimes we can maybe resist as broadcasters um, from, from a sales standpoint because the fulfillment might be a little bit painful. Maybe maybe we think like, oh, that's not the that's not something I, I don't like that idea or whatever. But, but these guys got tough jobs that, you know, they, they got a number to hit and, uh, working with them in a way that helps them and doesn't, doesn't be another barrier to their success, being an asset to the sales team. And, and even if I don't like an idea, maybe saying, Hey, what do you think about if we tweaked it like this, maybe we can deliver it a little bit better way. I think that stuff's important too. So just being a great teammate. I mean, that's a long winded way of saying, be a great teammate, try to think about what the objectives are of everybody around you, the AD, the SID, the associate AD, the, the GM, the seller, the everybody, the head coach, you know, don't like, I, I hear some of these play by play guys 
for their own team, like corner their head coach with like a really tough question. And I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, like that question's going to get asked by somebody else in the post game press conference. Like what, why are you risking your relationship asking that question? It's not about journalistic integrity. It's, this is something different. Like I, I, I believe the question needs to be asked, but let somebody else ask it because they're going to and and do stay in your lane and do your job. And, and I think sometimes people might think to themselves, no, I want to be the person to ask the hard hitting question. Well, that's fine, but you might burn the bridge. You might burn the relationship and that could cost you in the end. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. So um, I think all of life is, is just risk assessment and, and you're just trying to maximize your chances of the good, minimize your chances of the bad and and build relationships and all of that stuff and so um all that is applicable in every industry uh including sports casting and i've asked this question to a bunch of the the major college voices that we've had on this podcast but what is the interview process like for you we, we talk a lot about you know preparing for a game but you know even for me to get this job here at florida I had seven pages of notes just, you know, running through history and through all the programs that I'm going to be covering. What was the preparation process and what was the interview process like for a job like Washington? And when did you feel like you were going to be the guy to get the job? Um, Well, I think it was, yes, the history part's key. Right. Like you, you want to show that you've got a, an appreciation for the unique tradition, but you also don't want to lie and pretend that, you know, everything, you know, I, I think it's kind of expected that like, you're not going to know everything about the school that you're applying for the day that you apply. That's going to be a process. And I could tell you about what that process has been like for me over the last two to three years um, later. But, you know, in the interview process, I think just being authentic and, and trying to connect with the people who are asking you questions and, and just letting them know that, you know, why you're applying for this job. Like it's not, it, it, sometimes I think there were jobs in the past that I applied for where I thought I needed to come up with some right answer. I, there, there isn't a right answer. I think just sharing your heart and kind of saying like, this is why I really, really want this job. And I think some people know that certain jobs are not 30 year jobs and other people know that like, Hey, like this job here at Washington, this is a 30 year job. Like this is, this is what we're looking for, you know? So, um, I think there, uh, just needs to be an authenticity with a whole lot of that stuff. And then, um, again, going back to what I said before, you're going to talk to a lot of different people. So, um, in my time I talked to, in about six hours, I interviewed with like eight or nine different people. I met the GM. I met the, and, and when I say GM, for people who don't know, um, most of these universities have multimedia and marketing partners. It's Learfield IMG College at Washington. So I met with the general manager of the Husky Sports Properties. Um, met with uh, head basketball coach, head football coach, athletic director, associate ADs, SIDs. And yeah, I think that ended up totaling like eight people over six hours. So just being like mentally prepared to go through that gauntlet and, and know what matters to each of those individuals. And then just letting them know that you appreciate their needs out of my position and, and you want to be an asset 
and not a hindrance. Like that's, that's what worked for me. Um, you know, I took the same approach at Clemson. It was a lot shorter interview at Clemson. Uh, it was, it was men's basketball only. Uh, it was a freelance position. So maybe a little bit less investment, um, in that particular time. Uh, and a lot of the people, uh, it was one big round table where I, I think maybe like six to eight people were around a table kind of just peppered me with questions at one end. And then I met Brad Brownell, the head basketball coach later one-on-one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's grueling, you know, like it's, it's because you're nervous. You want to put on a, a, a good impression, but I think trying to get out of your head and just connect with people, that's the best way to, to go about it. And for you starting your, your first year on basketball as opposed to football and, mm-hmm. and shadowing that first year on football and replacing a legend, mm-hmm. you know, you, what, what is that process of knowing the pressure that you're going to be under? you know, entering that first year and watching Bob do it in that final year of football and and knowing that people out there are going to have opinions, whether it's positive or negative for the new guy. Mm-hmm. That's how it is. So for you, how did you handle that pressure of stepping into that role? Yeah, I think I just had to remind myself over and over that Bob's Bob and I'm not trying to be the next Bob. I'm trying to be the best me. And, um, you know, I had a lot of reverence for, for Bob. I, I, again, I produced for him like seven years earlier, so I got to know him a little bit. And so, um, being able to follow him was particularly cool having known him, you know? Um, and I just kind of enjoyed that whole thing. And, and I tried to, I tried to take any criticism with a grain of salt. Um, and, and also realize that like, sometimes embedded within criticism is something to learn, you know, and, and also sometimes there's not. So, um, you know, listen to it, see if, see if that's the case. Uh, if there is use it, if not throw it away and and move forward. Um, but yeah, I think there was, there was a lot of pressure, um, especially at first, but it wasn't, it wasn't really like, I don't know, maybe I'm remembering it differently now that I'm a little bit removed from it, but it really wasn't that bad. Bob was great. Like he took me under his wing. He was really kind to me. Um, you know, he had a lot of conversations with me that, that fall. And, um, and then also what helped was, was getting comfortable. Like, you know, I had called a million basketball games before I came out here. I hadn't called nearly as many football games. So starting with men's basketball, being new, with a new head coach, Mike Hopkins had just come out here to take the job and we were kind of new together. And hop is one of the most genuine, sincere, most amazing personalities that I've met in this business. And like, he made me feel comfortable right away with him. And so starting with basketball, I think got me comfortable in general with the UW so that by the time football came around and we opened up like with the biggest game in the country that first weekend, like it was number six, Washington and number nine, Auburn in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and I was just like, how is this the first game that I'm calling? Like, this is <laughs> stupid. Like, this is this is ridiculous that I'm this fortunate. Um, yeah, I was nervous, and I, I honestly, like, I don't think I was very good, but it's just the start, right? Like, it's the starting point of a journey. The idea isn't to knock it out of the park on day one and be like, yep, nailed it, you know, and then just rinse and repeat. The idea is y- you start at the start, 
and then you go on the journey and you try to get better every day. That's that's the motto of our AD and the athletic department in general here is just get better every day. And so uh, that's the goal and trying to focus on that rather than like have my identity wrapped up in someone's temporary opinion of me, which could change in five years. Like it's just not worth worrying about, you know. For you, what is most important when you're broadcasting a Washington football game? Uh, what makes just good football play-by-play on the radio, in your opinion? Yeah. Um, so I, I've thought a lot about this, and, and my opinion on this has changed a lot over the years. Um, obviously, I think one of my old bosses at Learfield IMG, he's a vice president. His name's Chris Ferris. And, and Chris has critiqued a lot of my tape over the years. And one of the best pieces of advice Chris has ever given me was, you know, if you want to just be fundamentally sound in a football or basketball broadcast, just make sure the listener is not asking themselves any questions like what down is it? What's the score? Who has the ball? That's bad. Like if the listener is asking themselves questions, that's bad. Now, you have to remember every five seconds someone new is tuning in so you have to try to deliver it in a way where that within 60 to 60 seconds to two minutes you're you're rebooting and refreshing and giving all that information uh in a way that also doesn't start to sound repetitive to the people who have been listening for two hours so it's bringing that together that that would be step one but then the the other thing that i started to notice through my first season as i listened back to the tape and i was just like man what that was a missed opportunity to to drop a really great nugget or why why did i say that um i've, I've kind of thought about like you know those like what are they called like the russian nesting dolls where where like you know that there's just the mm-hmm. layers right and and i think when, when you're thinking about a game, there's so many different layers on which you can be speaking. You can be speaking about like the play that's at the core, right? Like the play is what's happening at the very moment. And then you could be speaking about the series, the drive, right? And then you could be looking through the context of the quarter. You could be looking through the context of the game. You'd be looking through the context of the season and you could be looking through at the context of the history of the program. And I think a great play by play guy is someone who knows of those six levels, which one should you speak to at this given moment? Because I think that like, you know, sometimes you, you want to paint a picture, right? But if you're getting hyper descriptive of the way something looks when someone's breaking a record, that's superfluous nonsense. You should be talking about the record that was broken. Right. And, and it, we, we have to zoom out in the, we have to zoom out into low resolution or big picture. And then we have to zoom right back into high resolution constantly during the broadcast. So that is a thing that I think like just requires some feel. It requires some time to get used to. And it requires knowledge of the history of the program, which is what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Like when I came in and having a full year to get ready for Husky football, like I met with the SID and I printed off literally every box score of Washington football from 1976 to present day. And I read every number and every letter and I had a highlight different color coding system. And I wanted to know like, okay, like I've heard of some of these big games, but like what happened in that game or why is it so memorable? Or, 
you know, I mean, sometimes, sometimes like you look at a final score, well, sometimes the final score was like, yeah, they led by 20. It got close in garbage time in the fourth quarter. They ended up winning by seven, but it wasn't that interesting of a game. But other times they won by seven coming back from 21 down. You need to know the difference, right? And so learning all of that stuff by really diving in um, was something that I committed to for that first year. And I'm really glad that I did because it makes me feel like I experienced this a little bit um, in, in a passive way. You know, I, I, I didn't see the games before I was born when Warren Moon was throwing to spider gains, but, but I know about it and I've seen the tapes and I've read the box score and I, I've read what that meant by, by going back to the 1978 media guide, you know, and all that stuff I think is important to do. So, um, yeah, I think those are the challenges of a college play by play, play, uh, a play by play person. And, and you just have to know which to summon at which time. And to do all that, you really need a really good spotting board. And we understand you have a couple of your spot boards with us. So if you could just hold it up to the camera, let us see it a little bit and then kind of explain what's important for you to put on your uh, chart each week. So my boy, Tony Britt, uh, you guys may know Tony Britt, but, um, you know, this is standard Tony Britt stuff when it comes to football. Um, I just like to pack a bunch of notes in there. Um, also I, I kind of, I kind of have a couple other cutouts that I will tape to my board at times, uh, things that are like, um, Husky stadium records, Husky all time records. You know, I, I want to make sure that like, if someone, if there's a if there's a record that like is really obvious, I wanna I wanna know if someone's starting to approach it for in a single game, in a single season, in a career. The career stuff you see coming, right? Because it's in the game notes. But sometimes single game, like you know, it, it, it's a 19 play drive, like and you know you didn't see that coming, and all of a sudden you're like, is that the longest drive in Husky history? Like you know, I mean that's that's crazy. So you want to have a good familiarity with those sort of things. Um, that's for football and then basketball. I kind of just made this up. Um, but, but what I did was I kind of just, um, cut and paste the stats at the top. And then I just fill in a bunch of notes along the bottom. Um, and, and that's kind of my way of, of having an idea of what's going on on the basketball side. So, um, yeah, the prep part's huge, right? You guys know that like anybody that, that wants to go on the air, um, you got to be prepared, not just so you do the job well, but also so you put your mind at ease because the more prepared you are for a broadcast, the less nervous you're going to be. And, and that's huge because if you're nervous, you're not going to be your best self. You know, you're not going to be clever. You're not going to be quick. You're not going to be, um, you're not going to have that kind of comfort, that kind of comfort that, that you need to feel. So, um, yeah, I think that that's a, that's a pretty important piece to the whole deal. And I'm also interested, too, because we talk about the preparation for the games, but the coaches shows as well uh, leading up uh, to the games and, and whether you're doing it for football or basketball. Do you need to have your spotting boards done going into those coaches shows or do you really do you plan out segment by segment how you want to attack a, an hour coaches show? Yeah, I, I think coaches shows I've got a little bit of a different philosophy on. I, I definitely do not have the spotting board. In fact, I normally am doing the spotting board Thursday or Friday. Um, our coaches shows, well, now with Jimmy Lake as a head coach, our, our Wednesday night, what I do is I, I try to come up with a couple of topics and what I really want to do. And, and Jimmy powers, my program director at my first job, 
in uh, Columbus taught me this. Uh, there were, when I was early in my career and I was doing interviews, I was asking these really long-winded questions. And it was one of those deals where I think a lot of it was coming from a place of insecurity. I wanted to show that I knew what I was talking about. So I would like say all this stuff and then ask the question. And Jimmy Powers told me that um, the best interviewer in so dating myself a little bit back to like, you know, the early 2000s, but like the, the best interviewer in the business is Larry King. And when you look, watch a Larry King interview and see how he asks questions, like most of the time, his question was, then what happened? You know, why? How did that come to be? Like <laughs> super succinct and concise and just getting people to open up, right? So I want to have a few topics and bullet points and, and I want to go in with a game plan, particularly over-prepared in case maybe coach isn't particularly talkative that day or maybe he doesn't want to get into some of these topics. I want to have plenty, plenty of stuff there. But I want to be listening really intently to his answers and then asking follow-up questions based on what he says. That's what I think is is really, really good. And um, I think, you know, now, now that we're doing the Jimmy Lake show live, um, I have to balance that a little bit with watching the clock and hitting certain breaks and markers and all that stuff. But when I did the Chris Peterson show, it was taped. And what I did for the Chris Peterson show was I basically sat opposite him, kind of like you and I are doing now, and just did like a 45-minute podcast. Like I just like had a conversation with him and then took the clips and then edited them into segments. And I thought it was like I, I loved it. I just thought it was awesome. Uh, picking somebody's brain, listening to their answers, and, and doing the follow-up questions. I, I think that's the best stuff. And I see you're wearing the uh, the Rose Bowl fleece you got there. That is my bucket list game. If you if you th- throw up three events for me that one day want to broadcast Rose Bowls in that group, uh, what was that like for you? The setting, the pageantry, we we know it all. The the sunset and all that. Yeah. Uh, what was that experience like? Unbelievable, unbelievable, and a dream. Uh, and you know, it's, it's funny because I mentioned earlier that I grew up in Columbus. And so, you know, I know so many Ohio state fans, right. And, and then we play against Ohio state in this Rose bowl game. And, um, that was, that was just surreal. Um, it, my first year is the first year in Washington Huskies history that they went to both the Rose bowl and the NCAA tournament in the same year. And like, that was my first year on the job. And in the Rose bowl, we played against Ohio state. And in the NCAA tournament, we went and we played at the Columbus Regional. <laughs> and, and like, so I had my parents at the games. They're in like the ninth row right behind me and everything. And so, I, like, I was like, all right, well, done. Like, I mean, I've, I've done what I wanted to. Like, I hope we win a national championship. But other than that, like, I've got, I've got you know, no other things that I really want to, that, that I've really re- dreamed of doing. Um, it was really cool. Obviously, I, I, I wish... I wish um, the game would have been a little bit closer. Like we were, we were right there. I, I think giving up a late second quarter touchdown made it twenty-one to three, and just the optics of that going into the third quarter, sitting through an eighteen-point deficit at halftime, that hurt our All-American safety Taylor Rapp, who who was just a headhunter in the middle of that defense. He he was out that game with an injury, and Dwayne Haskins was able to throw over the middle all day long. Uh, they took a twenty-eight to three lead. 
you go into the fourth quarter and we're just kind of melancholy a little bit. Um, put a great fourth quarter together where they outscored Ohio State 20-3, to three, got within five points, made it interesting at the end. But I, I would love to go back and have like one of those like nail-biter games where like wire to wire, you have no idea who's going to win and, and, and have that experience. But um, gosh, it was it was goosebumps, and particularly the B2 flyover national anthem, ninety thousand people roaring along with the with the plane, uh, goosebumps. You know, Keith Jackson broadcast booth. Uh, you know, there, there's there's only like five booths in that hallway. Like you, you have your own elevator, you go up to the Keith Jackson area. There's the ESPN radio booth, the ESPN booth, the visiting radio, the home radio. And then there's like a coffee maker. Like, I mean, that, that's all that there is like in that whole area. Um, unbelievably lucky to, to have called uh, the game that, like you said, is a bucket list game. And I hope that uh, I hope I have 10 more of those. I hope <laughs> I have 15 more. That's my hope. Well, Pac-12 football is coming back. And, and I've asked this to, to some SEC announcers. What's your favorite venue to call a road game in in the Pac-12, whether it's broadcast booth-wise and then environment-wise? Oh, the Pac-12. I think that the Pac-12 is the best travel league in the country. Uh, and this is having done ACC basketball. This is growing up in Big Ten country. And then, you know, I, I traveled a lot in the MAC and the Big South and, and some of these other places uh, doing games early in my career. But I think the Pac-12, and particularly my first year, man, we didn't just go to Atlanta for that first game against Auburn. We went to Salt Lake City. We went to Eugene. We went to the Rose Bowl for a regular season game against UCLA <laughs> and then went back for the postseason. Um, you know, it. we went to Cal. Berkeley is super underrated. Like, like, just from an experiential standpoint, I think our stadium is – the greatest setting in college football. But when you go on the road and every week you're in an awesome city with, uh, you know, just great tradition and history and some of these old, like when you look at Cal Memorial stadium, you're like, this thing is a billion years old. The Rose bowl had games like, you know, in, in 1902, you know, I, I obviously the stadium wasn't built that way then, but you know, it, it rose in the twenties. And I just think like, I think the PAC 12 is the best travel league in the country. I think, you know, Washington State's got a nice booth. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I, I'm, I'm biased, right? Like yeah. Husky Stadium's amenities are fantastic. They just updated them in 2013. The views can't be beat, especially on one of those sunny days in the fall. Um, yeah, uh, I, I just think we've got the best travel league in the country. I haven't been to the L.A. Coliseum yet. Um, went to Tucson, which was kind of cool. Looking forward to someday going to Tempe. Um, been there for basketball, but yeah, I just think our travel. Oh, Boulder! Boulder's a really mm -hmm. cool stadium to go to. We we did that this past year too. Pac-12 travel is incredible. It really is. It, it doesn't get better than than this league when it comes to that. Well, Tony, we got to let you go in just a couple minutes. But as we start to wrap things up, uh, if you look at what Kyle and I are doing as women's basketball voices at two big schools, Alabama and Florida, and get to do some other work as well on pregame for football, things like that, uh, in the Learfield IMG College family, kind of what would you tell us and then people in similar spots to us that are starting to do some high-profile work about how to continue moving up in this business and eventually get to a job like you have uh, being the voice of a Power 5 school? I would say enjoy the ride. I mean, 
uh, it's human nature to spend so much time looking for what else is out there. You got to be present with where you're at. I, I would say don't, I would say don't ever take a job that you don't want to be at. Like, you know, take a job uh, and, and be ready to settle into that and commit to it for a while. And I would say like, that's, that's essential because as much as you might think that sports casting is a dream, like you'll get into a position and then think to yourself, oh, I'm ready for something next. And you, you could think that in six to 12 months, right? I think that you have to be ready to settle in wherever you are, be both feet firmly planted, give all of yourself to what it is that you're doing. And then, um, you know, from there, uh, work your, work your butt off, be a good person, care about other people, build mutually beneficial relationships and connections. Um, you know, get critique of your tape, listen to the critique and the feedback, um, and, and be your own toughest critic, but also, you know, be your own biggest cheerleader and your own advocate and, and go out and, and get it, do what you want to do. And, and, um, yeah, I would say, trying to think if there's anything else i know all that's extremely vague and general and cliche and you've probably heard it a million times it's just like coaches say we're only worried about the next game you know we can only c control the controllables they say that stuff because it's true you know right. and and what's really important is not just you know uh rotely uh reciting the cliche but internalizing that deep truth and then living it out every day that's the hard work that's the hard part but um be all in with wherever you're at and um, see where that takes you. Uh, I, I think it'll probably be good places. Well, it's taking you to Seattle as the voice of the Washington Huskies. And Tony, we really appreciate your time, really detailing your journey throughout what's been an outstanding broadcast career. And look forward to talking to you again down the road. But thank you for joining us today. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, Roger, thanks for the time. Great to talk to you guys. Thanks, Tony. All right. Thanks to Tony Castricone. We'll be back next week with another edition of Broadcaster Hour. See you, everyone.